0: Good morning. It's been a whole decade since I've seen you. You knew it was going to happen. You just knew it was going to happen. Uh, it's so good to see you. I actually haven't um, <clears throat> haven't been around since Christmas Eve, and we did our Christmas Eve service over at the middle school. I think that was such the the right call. And for those of you that joined us, it was a, just such a blessing to have you at that service. I pray you had an awesome holiday season, and, the, and kind of the, the, uh, the, the mood that I seem to be gathering from people is that they were so ready that the holidays were over. Anybody feel that way? Like just, it's kind of a weird couple weeks. And uh, I woke up a few days. I didn't know what day it was. Um, woke up this morning. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to preach today or not. And so it just kind of feels like we're getting back in the swing of things. I don't know if it feels that way for you, um, but uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. And I want to talk about a couple of things. First thing I want to talk about is actually I want to I build on the growth track that Ian just announced, because I think it's important to maybe, maybe uh, preface a little bit of what we're going to be talking about so many of us sit in church week after week after week, and we hear that there's so much more to this thing called a relationship with God than Sunday morning. There's so much more than than uh, than religion. It's a relationship, but a lot of us don't know necessarily how to build that relationship. And so uh, week one in that growth track, we want to teach you how to have a quiet time. You know, has, everyone, has anyone ever walked through how to actually have a quiet time with you? What prayer is? What journaling is? Is I believe um, journaling is like the secret sauce, right? Anybody ever seen the movie Fried Green Tomatoes? Secrets in the sauce. Okay, went back. Sorry, um, not in my notes. Uh, That was free. Um, But, uh, uh, you know, the secret sauce of a daily quiet time is um, journaling. And so we want to talk to you about how to journal and all of that. We want to talk to you about your spiritual gifts, because here's the reality. Look at the person to your left. Look at the person to your right. Believe it or not, both of them have a gift. You may not think so all the time, but both of them have a gift that's valuable to the kingdom of God. You have a gift that's valuable to the kingdom of God. And so we want to talk about your giftings. We want to talk about how to use your giftings within the kingdom of God and outside the four walls of the church. Um, And then lastly, we want to talk about discipleship. Summit was built on the core of discipleship and so we want to talk in that fourth session of the growth track how do you have a life-on-life discipleship relationship what does that look like and then we want to send you out and so um, it's going to be awesome and I hope you'll join us I think we're going to try to do it Don't quote me on this, but I think we're going to try to do it four times this year so that everybody can walk through it uh, together. It'll be classroom style. It'll be teaching style. um, And so it'll be interactive and it's going to be a lot of fun. So I know I know now after that, right, five minutes, you're all just itching to sign up and you're so excited to be a part of that. Right. Lie to me. Okay, very good. All right, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Acts, uh, chapter 16. That's where we're going to live this morning. That's where we're going to camp out. I was reading uh, this past week, and a fascinating article is a research study that was done by a professor named Vicki Medvek. She is a professor at Northwestern University, and here's what she studied. She studied Olympic medalist, and she discovered something that I, think, that I thought was just fascinating. Bronze medalists were happier than silver medalists. Does that make sense to anybody? Bronze medalists were happier than silver medalists. Here's why. Medvec found that silver medalists tended to focus on how close they came to winning gold so they weren't satisfied with silver. They tended to focus how close they were. I I thought as I was reading the, the, the study, the article, about that Mount Michael Phelps, Phelps, uh, butterfly, um, race when he just barely outtapped that other guy at the last second, uh, to win gold and that other guy got silver. Can you imagine how that guy must have felt and as he watched the replay and as they had to go to the video screens and all of that and how close he came to actually getting gold in that race? right and so silver medalists tended to focus on how close they came to winning gold that they weren't satisfied with their silver bronze medalists tended to focus on how they came how close they came to not winning a medal at all they focused on how close they came to not winning a medal at all. So they were happy just to be on the medal stand. They were happy just to be receiving something after spending all of those years, all of those hours, months, and, and, and time, and meals, and, 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 and um, preparing for that one event, that one race. They were just happy to be on the stand at all. And I think that study reveals something fascinating about us as, as people. And it's this. And it's where I want to go this morning. And I think really it's where we're going to go. For the year. And If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Your focus determines your reality. Your focus determines your reality. Your focus determines your reality. If you're a silver medalist and, and, and you're focused on how close you got to uh, getting gold, then that's your reality. You're disappointed. But if you're a bronze medalist and you're focused on, man, I'm just happy to be up here on the podium. I'm just happy to be receiving a medal. I've got something to take home with me. Our focus determines our reality. How we feel isn't determined by objective circumstances. If that were the case, silver medalists would be happier than bronze medalists because they would have gotten a better result. But our internal attitudes are more important than our external circumstances. That's so true, isn't it? Our internal attitudes are so much more important than our external circumstances. Um, I I, got to... Confess something to you this morning. Is that okay? Um, As you know, the family and I—we were away last weekend. We went down to Virginia and and just got away for a couple days. And and um, and while we were away, uh, I got some some phone calls and some text messages um, that that we were getting quite the storm on Monday and Tuesday we got quite the storm. You guys remember that? Some of you are trying to forget it. Some of you still have sore backs and bodies as a result of shoveling all week long. I get it. i got to confess to you, Monday, while the snow was dumping, I received one text that just talked about how messy it was. I was walking around with shorts and a t-shirt on in 75 degree weather, and it was sunny and I ate Chick-fil-A for lunch. I mean, that's that's like almost heaven. Now see, some of y'all are getting overtaken by bitterness right now, and you need to ask the Lord to forgive you for that (laughs) before we can continue. But I just needed to confess it to you because you'll understand where I'm going. As I was driving through the night, Monday night, into colder and colder and colder temperatures, and then all of a sudden, I hit Kennebunk Monday morning at like 8.30 in the morning, and it started to snow, I was able to still smile. Why? Because I just had 75 degrees and sunny, and I hadn't dealt with it for the last 24 hours like the rest of uh, Maine had. You see how that works? Our perspective towards the situation determines how we feel about the situation. It's not necessarily the snow, it's our perspective towards the snow, right? Okay, some of you need to work through that a little bit more, and that may be a stretch of an illustration, but all of us know people who can find something good to focus on, no matter what the situation right? And sometimes, sometimes we get annoyed by those people that can just always find something good to focus on, even in the worst of circumstances. And on the flip side, all of us know someone who can find something bad to focus on, even in the best of circumstances. Well, we all know those people, they can find the worst in even the best of circumstances. And there's a universal principle that we need to share with each other right out of the gate this morning, that we tend to see what we're looking for. We tend to see what we're looking for. I think there's two types of people in the world, complainers and worshipers. Complainers and worshipers. Complainers can always find something to complain about. Worshippers can always find something to praise God about. Complainers can always find something to complain about. Worshippers can always find something to praise God about. And we all develop these hypotheses, these, 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 these beliefs about everything over time. And we look for evidence to support these beliefs and ignore the evidence to the contrary. For example... If, if you decide right off the bat, which we've talked about this before, we, we decide so quickly whether or not we like someone, but if we decide right off the bat that we don't like someone, you'll notice everything that is wrong with that person. Everything. You can nitpick that person and you find everything and you probably ignore anything that you could potentially like about them. And the flip side is true. If we're head over heels in love with someone, we tend to notice only those things that we love about them for about the first 10 years and then things, anyway. But the, the, the truth is that we see what we're looking for. We see what we're looking for. What does that have to do with us this morning? What does that have to do with Acts 16? What does that have to do with, um, with, with, with where we're going today? A worshiper makes a predecision to look for something to praise God about even in the hardest of circumstances. A worshiper makes a predecision to look for something to praise God about even in the hardest of circumstances. And that's going to take us to Acts 16 this morning. I want us to start in verse 20. Uh, excuse me, I want us to start in verse 16, and we're going to go through verse 40. So we're gonna we're gonna read quite a bit here, um, but we've gotta get this whole story. As we were going to the place of prayer, Acts sixteen, sixteen, we were met by a slave girl who had who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out these men are servants of the most high God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. Now, what we've got to see here, right, is this is post Jesus. Jesus has ascended into heaven and we've got Paul and Silas that are going about to different areas planting churches and doing ministry. Okay, they were planting churches and doing ministry. And, and, um, and, and they had just seen a miracle happen. And so they're going about their way. And then they get, they get met by this, um, this slave girl, right, who is kind of mocking them. Kind of mocking them. Talking about, you know, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. They're trying to basically out them to the people um, that that they're around. Verse 18, And she kept doing this for many days. And I want you to see this because I think this is awesome. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. Isn't that encouraging? Paul got annoyed too. I feel like if Paul can get annoyed, I can get annoyed. Right? At Tennessee Titan fans. Anyway, um, you knew what was going to happen. Okay. Um. <clears throat> He became greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, we got to see something right off the bat here this morning. The same God that empowered Jesus to do the work of ministry, empowered Paul and Silas to do the work of healing and miracles in Acts. And guess what? Has empowered the church of today to do the same ministry and miracle working that 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 was happening in Scripture. We see Paul right here speak to the Spirit. I command you in the name of Jesus, get out of her. Why? Because he had become so annoyed. Right? You see that? I don't know about you, but I find that encouraging this morning that if, that if, that if I'm a follower of Christ, just like Paul, just like Silas, who are following the same God that we're following today, we have access to the same power. Verse 19. But when her owners... Remember, she's a slave girl. When her owner saw that her hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept our practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off, gave them orders excuse me, tore, tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Sounds like a bad day. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them. Right? This wasn't a slap on the wrist. You see that, right? You're reading the same text I'm reading. Okay, it's on the screen or it's in your lap or it's on your smart device or dumb device, either way. Okay, Uh, you're reading the same text I'm reading. To beat them with rods, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. This was a bad day. A worshiper, let me repeat this before we unpack this even more, a worshiper makes a pre-decision to look for something to praise God about even in the hardest of circumstances. Now, who here has never had a bad day? Great. Nobody lied in church, I'm proud of you. We've all had bad days, right? We've all had bad days. This is a bad day. For Paul and Silas. They're following God, they're being obedient to him, they're doing the work of ministry, and yet here they're thrown into jail, they're beaten with rods, right? And they're and they're, they're placed in a prison cell in Philippi. I think mean, that's interesting, that they're in Philippi, right? That we have the letter to the church at Philippians, and 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 they're in Philippi. I'd encourage you. To read this whole chapter for yourself before, and, 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 and we're going to get to the end and, and kind of read what bookends this, um, but to kind of catch you up, um, a little bit before, Paul casts a demon out of a fortune teller. Her master doesn't like it because she loses the ability to pr- predict the future. And so he has Paul and Silas arrested. And so, he, Paul here, right, commanded this demon to get out of this slave girl. The owners didn't like it because they couldn't predict the future for her anymore, so they had them arrested. And I think we read a story like this, and it's almost tough to put ourselves in these shoes. Because even though we've all had bad days before, we've never had anything, more than likely, we've never had anything like this happen to us. If I'm Paul or Silas in this situation... I don't know about you, but I'm emotionally, physically, and even spiritually spent. I'm drained to the last drop. I've got nothing left to give. I want you to think, get this picture in your mind. Their backs are bleeding from the beating. They're black and blue all over. They, they had to be a little angry or ticked off at the situation because now they're in prison. They're in, they're in these stocks. They're in these chains. I mean, I've never had a mob form against me, but I imagine that it would set you off emotionally. And to top it all off, they land in the deepest of, of the cells, right? maximum security, so to speak, in chains. It doesn't get much worse than that. But let's keep reading. Verse 25. About midnight, we see that Paul and Silas were complaining about their circumstances. Right? No! Look at verse 25, highlight this, underline this, star this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Keep going. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaking, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Why? Because he had failed at his job. He had one job, right, to keep these prisoners in prison, in jail. And then this earthquake came. He thought he had failed at his job, and so he had drawn his own sword to kill himself. But look at what happens. But Paul cried out with a loud voice in verse 28, Do not harm yourself. We're all here. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, that didn't just happen because Paul said, hey, don't harm yourself, right? It happened because about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. And I want you to notice something that Luke, the writer of Acts, puts in here very specifically. Everyone was listening. Everyone was listening. And so this this jailer, right, had heard the gospel for who knows how long, as Paul and Silas were singing and praying out to God, crying out to God. And so then he comes to them at the end. What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Man, we overcomplicate things sometimes, don't we? Look at what Paul saw. Believe in the Lord Jesus. What happened? They went from a jail cell in like a maximum security in chains to dining with the jailer, baptizing him and his whole family, and a party broke out. Celebration broke out. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, Let those men go. Right? And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. And so Paul and Silas here, they're set free. But see what happens. Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. Now, this is where I've got to question Paul a little bit. Right. I mean, and if you read Acts, and if you read the New Testament, I mean, Paul wrote two thirds of the New Testament. If you read Acts, where he has his conversion story, and 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 all the things that happened from Acts like nine and a half all the way to twenty eight, you know, and 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 then you read, uh, you, you you know, you, you read the 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 stories of Paul and the the journeys of Paul, you know, I, there's a lot to question him about, but this probably takes the cake for me. Because here, this jailer comes back after, after we've seen an amazing miracle, an amazing event. He's set free. Hey, guess what? The magistrates said you can go. And Paul's like, uh uh-uh, it's not going to work like that. I mean, most of us, if we're honest, probably, sitting here, we would run, right? I mean, yeah, we're set free. I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of here. I wish I could tell you a story about a time that uh, I took Ezra to the hospital and, um, and, and the doctor mentioned words that you never want to hear. Ezra was, I think, less than a year old. No, he was a little bit more than a year old. And this doctor said, we, you know, we might have to transport you by helicopter. We were in, we were out of state. We might have to transport you by helicopter, but I'm going to give him 15 minutes. I'm going to tell you right now, in that emergency room, in that 15 minutes, I force fed that kid a bottle very legally and very, like, very fatherly, very lovingly, force fed that kid a bottle and prayed for 15 minutes. Like, you, like, I hadn't prayed. It was like three o'clock in the morning. Kristen and the kids were in a hotel somewhere. And, and I was like freaking out. I'm like, I, I'm not going to the helicopter ride. You know, I don't, I don't know what to do. Anyway, I would have done it if it's what my son needed. But I, anyway, anyway, anyway. Doctor came back in 15 minutes later. He's like, I can't believe it, but his numbers are down and I want you to get out of here. We were out of there before that doctor could change his mind. You wouldn't believe. I mean, I was, I, it was fast. <laughs> I would have probably done the same thing in this situation. But Paul said, no. They beat us publicly. They made this thing a public event. I want them to march down here and tell us that we're free. And look at what happened. Verse 38, the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. They took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. After they had seen the brothers. I love that, because even in that, we see the priority of the church. They, they saw the brothers, they encouraged them, and then they departed. Paul and Silas, at verse 25, things shift in this story, because i got to tell you, in verse 24, it kind of looks grim. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. See, sometimes, in the midst of our circumstances, We've got to zoom out and see the bigger picture of what God's doing. So many times now, so many times today, I feel like we're just so laser focused on ourselves and laser focused on what we're doing and what we've got going on in our circumstances and our preferences and our situations and our feelings and our needs and our desires that it's hard for us to zoom out and see the bigger picture of what God's doing. It's hard for us to zoom out and see the bigger picture of what God's doing. And for some of us, it's really hard to zoom out. But let me share something that I've learned with you from personal experience. Is it okay if I be a little bit vulnerable this morning? Is that all right? Is this your last Sunday with us until you go back to college? All right, I'll be vulnerable just for you. Okay. It's for you. It's for him. Don't, don't Nobody else worry about this. When I get into a spiritual or emotional slump, slump, because that happens, I'm not exempt from that. We all get into spiritual slumps. We all get into emotional slumps. When that happens for me, it's usually because I've zoomed in on a problem. And, and not just a problem for me, and, and maybe some of you are, are, are messed up like me. That's great. It's awesome. You're in the right place. Um, it, it, for me, it's not necessarily a problem as much as it is a person. That I I haven't zoomed in on a problem as much as I have I've zoomed in on a person and making sure they're happy. And when I get into a spiritual or emotional slump, it's usually because I've zoomed in on a situation, on a circumstance, on a problem. I'm fixating on something that's wrong. I'm focused on the wrong thing. And nine times out of ten, the solution to my slump is zooming out so I can get some perspective. See, sometimes, sometimes we've got to zoom out and look at the big picture. That's what the following college student did in writing this letter. College students, check this out. Dear mom and dad, I have so much to tell you. Because of the fire in my dorm room set off by student riots, I experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly, and we've moved in together. I dropped out of school when I found out I was pregnant. He got fired because of his drinking, so we're going to move to Alaska, where we might get married after the birth of our baby. Your loving daughter. P.S. None of this really happened, but I did flunk my chemistry class and I wanted to keep it in perspective. (laughs) That's awesome. Sometimes we need to zoom out and look at the big picture. Right? Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay? So how do we zoom out? How do we zoom out? Let me give you a one word answer. And we kind of already talked about it this morning worship. 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 I never mean to do this, honestly. Like, I never mean to do this. I, I, I never mean to kind of to jump on the, the bandwagon or whatever of kind of figuring out a word for the year. But every year, it just kind of happens. And as, I was, as I've been spending time over the last couple weeks kind of thinking and praying, there's two words that have come to my mind so heavily that I want to talk to you about as we close. And the first one is this. What would it look like if this year our focus was worship? Our focus was worship so the first word I want to talk to you about is focus. Because if if we're going to zoom out, we've got to focus on worship. Worshiping is taking our eyes off of the external circumstances and focusing on God. See, we stop focusing on what's wrong with our circumstances or what's wrong with us, and we start focusing on what's right with God. Paul and Silas... Could have zoomed in and complained about their circumstances. God, we cast out a demon and this is what we get. We're on a missionary journey and we get beaten and thrown into jail. Instead of watching our backs and bleeding from a beating, they could have complained till the cows came home. If you don't know that reference, ask a southerner next to you. But they made a choice to worship God in spite of their external circumstances. See, here's what worship does. It helps you regain perspective. Worship helps you regain your perspective. And worship isn't a Sunday morning from 9 to 10 or 10.30 to 11.30 or, or whatever. It's not, it's not a, an hour long thing or an hour and a half long thing, however long we go. It, worship is a daily lifestyle. It enables us to find something right to praise God about even when everything seems to be going wrong. Worship is zooming out and refocusing on the big picture. It's refocusing on the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and your sin. It's refocusing on the fact that God loves me when I least expect it and I least deserve it. It's refocusing on the fact that God is going to get me where he wants me to go. It's refocusing on the fact that I have eternity with God to look forward to in a place where there's no mourning, there's no sorrow, there's no pain, there's none of that. Worshiping is refocusing on the fundamentals of our faith. And you don't know what happens when when we worship. Truly worship, God restores the joy of our salvation. He restores the joy of our salvation. See, I'm absolutely convinced that the most important choice we could make every day is our choice to worship. When I read verse 25 about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. This is one of the soundtracks of the Bible. This is one of the audio tracks of Scripture along with communion like we're about to share in in just a few minutes that I'd love to hear. I wish we had an MP3 or a CD or an 8-track or a record or something of Paul and Silas singing. Because I'm going to go out on a limb here. But if you've never if you've ever heard someone that can't sing, sing at the top of their lungs, there's something so pure about that. There's something so pure about that. I love watching Josh Backman play drums. The guy that's playing drums this morning for us. Love it. You want to know why? Because that's his worship. He worships. He can't wait to stop playing drums so he can stand and lift his hands as high as he can to God and surrender. It's his worship. It's his worship. There's something awesome amazing about worshiping God at the top of your lungs without caring how it sounds. There's something awesome about that. And I can't help but think in this situation where Paul and Silas have been beaten and battered and thrown in prison, I can't think that they were in sync. I can't think that they had their harmonies all worked out and that they were in tune. They weren't a traveling music group. They were a traveling preaching group. Encouraging group. They sang with a conviction that caused their fellow prisoners to listen. They lived with a conviction that caused the people around them to take notice. They praised God at the top of their lungs. And I want you to see that that choice started a revival. Chains broke. A whole family met Jesus. They baptized them in the middle of the night. Let me tell you something, church. You can't script that kind of thing. It's God. God. You may be sitting here this morning and say, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. You can't script it. That's the beauty of it. Only God. Which brings us to our next word. My first question for you this morning is, what's your focus? My second question is, who are you trusting? I kind of had a Joel Osteen moment the other morning. I was sitting and thinking to myself, self, because I was thinking about you too. And I thought to myself, self, because I know this isn't what you expect. But every year, this Sunday of the year, the first Sunday of the year, there's a there's almost like this pressure for me to like give you this. How to how can you have the best year of your life? That's cheesy. I mean, let's just call that what it is. And Tony, as I sat there and thought about you, as I thought about me, as I thought about man, what's missing? I thought, trust. Paul and Silas can, in verse twenty-five, sing at the top of their lungs and pray because they didn't—they didn't focus on the prison. They trusted the God of the prison. They trusted the God of their circumstance. They trusted—they they trusted that God was bigger than their situation. And I thought to myself, okay, self, you got all these things happening. You got all this this going on. You got, you got this this and this. You're trying to figure out. You got. All, Trust God. Ah, oh, that's too simple. No, seriously. Trust God. Trust God. And as I read Acts 16, as I read this story of Paul and Silas, they couldn't have chosen worship if they didn't trust God to their core if they trusted something else to provide for them, if they trusted something else to deliver them, if they trusted something else to set them free, I no doubt believe that this story would have had a different ending. But they trusted God. They trusted that if they turned their attention about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and people, prisoners, were listening to them and suddenly... There was a great earthquake. You know the beauty of it? None of this surprised God. And Paul and Silas lived their life in a way that trusted Him. We can worship in the chains because we can trust the God of the chains. So my question again, what are you focusing on? And where's your trust? See, are there circumstances that you're allowing to imprison you? Have your complaints about someone or something become chains that have kept you in bondage? Let me tell you this. Stop focusing on what's wrong about you or your circumstances and start focusing on what's right about God. I've got an assignment for you. Ian mentioned last week, and for those of you that weren't here, we've got the reading guys that are out on the table. I encourage you, jump on board with that. Jump on board with that. I don't think there's anything more rewarding than if we as a church got together and we read the Bible through in a year. Maybe that's not your thing, but if it is, hey, jump on board with us. You read two, day, two of the days or whatever. You can catch up. You can catch up. I believe in you. You got this. But here's another assignment. I want you to keep a gratitude journal this week. Seriously, and whether you do it every morning, you take five minutes and say, hey, these are the three things that I'm thankful for this week, whatever, but I want you every day to find something to be grateful for. It's a spiritual discipline. Psalm 103 verse 2 says, praise the Lord and forget not all its benefits. Your focus will determine your reality. Let's trust God. So this morning as we close, we're going to take communion together. I think what a beautiful picture because as we mentioned earlier, that worship, it refocuses us on the Gospel. It refocuses us on the Gospel. And so there's some folks that are going to come up and they're going to help me serve and I'm going to pray for us and then we'll serve. And as we're serving, I'll explain this to you in a minute, but I want you to sit and I want you to think. What's your focus? And who are you trusting? God, today I pray that You would turn our attention to You. That You would turn our focus towards You. God, I pray that You would turn our trust to You. God, that we wouldn't get worked up or worked down or so zoomed in on on circumstances or situations or feelings in our life, but that God, we would zoom out and get the bigger picture of what You're doing. And that we would trust You in all of it. In all of it. In all of it. God, for me, this morning, I recognize that when I get into slumps, when I get down, it's because my focus is not on You. It's because my trust is in me or something or someone else. So God, today for me, for me, I want my focus to be You. My trust in You. And as we're going to sing in just a few moments, I'll build my life on that. I'll build my life on that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.